In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. It is in our nature to love experiences. These are the things we remember, the times we look back upon fondly as we grow older. As Humphrey Bogart said to Ingrid Bergman in the movie Casablanca, we'll always have Paris. Amazing experiences are considered the measure of a life well-lived, and some people spend most of their time reminiscing on past events, longing for the good old days, measuring every current event against those of distant memory. It's easy to bring this way of thinking into the church. Do you remember the days when the church was the social center of town, when there was standing room only at Christmas and Easter? Or perhaps you might remember a spiritual experience you had, a day when you promised to turn your life around, a time when you felt tangibly the nearness of God, some sort of spiritual epiphany that changed your life in a moment. These experiences can be wonderful, but they can also be misleading. Many Christians find themselves chasing these sorts of spiritual highs, filled with nagging guilt and regret because they are unable to sustain that emotional feeling throughout every day of life. Some of the older folks here might remember Keith Green, one of the very first Christian artists in the 70s, back when Christian music was actually good. He wrote a song lamenting the loss of what he called that sweet communion with the Lord. I feel so sorry inside that my first love has died. Why did he write that? Had he departed from the faith, renounced Christ, or fallen into gross sin? No. And yet he was plagued with guilt because the feelings he had first experienced when becoming a Christian were no longer there. In many churches, it's a common practice for people to get up in front and give their testimony, recounting the experiences they had that brought them to Christ. And it seems the more amazing and fantastical the story, the better. I've had a few amazing experiences of my own, things that cannot be explained by science or reason. I'm sure many of you could tell a similar story or two. But St. Peter has a story that tops anything we have ever experienced. In his second letter to the church, Peter writes, We were eyewitnesses of his majesty. He's speaking about the transfiguration. We ourselves heard the voice of God the Father born from heaven, for we were with Jesus on the holy mountain. If we were to rate spiritual experiences, I don't think anything you or I could come up with could top this. Seeing Jesus transformed to shine bright as the sun, hearing the Father's voice speak directly from heaven, and just in case that wasn't amazing enough, Moses and Elijah, two of the greatest men in the Old Testament, were also there for good measure. Now that would have been an amazing experience. So amazing, in fact, that Peter didn't want the moment to end. 
He offered to make three temporary tents to try to make this experience last forever. Of course, that would never work, but it didn't stop Peter from trying. In our own lives, we too try to preserve those wonderful moments. Photo albums, souvenirs, mementos, all these things, nothing wrong with them, but they're all an expression of our yearning for heaven where time will be no more and nothing that is good will ever be lost. But try as we might, we can't hang on to the things of this passing life. Honeymoons end, loved ones die, and even the memories fade. No, Peter, even the most well-made tent will not preserve this mountaintop experience. This is a glimpse of what heaven will be, but it's not a moment to be seized on earth. Later in his life, a much wiser Peter would reflect on this greatest of all earthly experiences. Yes, I was there, Peter says. I saw the majestic glory. I heard the voice from heaven. I was with Jesus on the holy mountain. But we, Peter says, and he includes those of us who were not there, we have something better, something more trustworthy, something more certain. What could be better than a life-changing experience? Peter answers, We have the prophetic word. Now, with our natural tendency to love these experiences and put such a high focus on preserving them, it may seem a bit underwhelming to hear that the word of God is better. I remember my pastor asking years ago, would you rather have $100 or the word of God? I was about 10 or 12, and I thought, give me the 100 bucks. In a similar way, we easily gravitate towards experiences and feelings and emotions. Just like Peter, we would be in a hurry to build some tents and prolong the glory of this mountaintop. But God the Father said to Peter and the other disciples, This is my son. Listen to him. Your heavenly Father knows what you truly need, the Word incarnate, to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place. Listen to Him. The trouble with mountaintop experiences is that they are a very small part of life in this broken and sinful world. These moments are generally fleeting and very far apart. Most of life is spent in the valleys, not the mountaintop. If you're counting on these grand experiences to give you a feeling of closeness to God and to give you certainty that he loves you, your own conscience is likely to bear witness to the opposite. The bulk of your experiences say, you are a rotten sinner. You don't deserve a place in heaven. You are not worthy of eternal life. Why should God love you? It's hard to argue with this. 
But the word of God, which is more trustworthy than all human experience, tells you your sins are forgiven. Your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. You are a beloved child of God purchased by the precious blood of Jesus. The prophetic word to which you would do well to pay attention tells you that your status with God does not go up and down with the roller coaster of emotions. It does not depend on your good behavior. How can you know with certainty that you are still a member of the family of God? How can you be sure that the promises of Christ still apply to you? Because you have something far more certain and more sure than a feeling or a mountaintop experience. You have the prophetic word, which is backed by God's own unchangeable and unbreakable nature. God has promised himself to you, and he will not and cannot change his mind. The prophetic word, which you heard spoken in the absolution this morning, is a preview of the verdict that Christ himself will pronounce about you on the day of judgment. Those words of forgiveness, which our Lord speaks in your hearing once again this morning, are the words that he has bound himself to speak concerning you on the last day. Everything else in which we might be tempted to trust is shaky and uncertain, but the promises of Jesus are steadfast. Nowhere are these promises more real and concrete for us than when the word of God is added to the water of holy baptism and the bread and wine of holy communion. In these mysteries, the prophetic word is joined to physical elements so that you might feel and see and taste the love and forgiveness of God. The promise that is delivered to you as you hear the words of absolution, as you touch the water of baptism, as you taste the elements of holy communion, is far more sure and certain than anything else you might experience. Touch this water and know that you are God's own child. Taste the wafer upon your tongue and know that Christ's body was broken especially for you. Feel the wine slide down the back of your throat, as Martin Luther says, and believe that your sins are forgiven. This is the prophetic word which has been spoken to you and to which you will do well to pay attention. Experiences, amazing as some of them are, will not give you the certainty of salvation. But the words of Christ can and do, and his words are faithful and true. These promises will sustain you, as St. Peter says, until the glorious day dawns at last and the morning star rises in your hearts. In the name of Jesus, amen.